Welcome to the It Is Written podcast. As doubts about God's will arise, the world resorts to feelings and experts. We go to the law and to the testimony of God's word. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at Jacob, the twin of Esau, in Genesis chapter 28 through 32. In John chapter 2, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there's an event that occurred in the temple in Jerusalem that raised a lot of eyebrows. John chapter 2, would you read verses 13 to 17? Sure. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. And he told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus was there at the temple in Jerusalem, and he found in the temple people selling animals, probably for sacrifice, kind sure. of uh, right there yeah. by the temple. And there, there were provision for that for people who came far. Right. Yeah. They didn't have to bring their own animal in that case. Yeah. So they set it up to where they could conveniently buy it right there where they'd take it to the priest and, yeah. and offer it. Probably certified clean animals already. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, and they had money changers seating at their table, seated at their tables, probably changing the money so they could buy the sacrifices and so they could pay the temple tax. Yeah. So it was convenient one-stop shopping almost. <laughs> yes. And a good deal for them. But Jesus was outraged. He did some radical stuff. He made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple, poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned the temple. This was Jesus on the rampage. Yes. This is not the Jesus meek and mild we're accustomed to thinking about. This right. is Jesus really upset and acting very uh, decisively and forcefully with apparently no concern for the consequences. This was not a good first impression for Jesus to make in Jerusalem. No. And we'll think about a little bit more why in a minute. Yeah, and so it really is true. Zeal for your house will consume me. Yes, indeed. He was very zealous for his father's house. And, and think about what that meant for him. But it, this reminds me of something that happened to me when I lived in Sao Paulo. There were some wide pedestrian streets downtown, and we'd be passing out flyers on uh-huh. these streets to the people who were passing by. And in the middle of these, these streets would be all kinds of people set up with tarps and selling every kind of thing there in the middle of the street. Yeah. But that was technically illegal. I don't think they were set up to do that by the city government. And every once in a while, I'd be passing out flyers, and all of a sudden, all these people would vanish. They'd go into the storefronts and places around them, and I'd look up, and there'd be the dump truck of the city government running through the, uh, the pedestrian sidewalk, and if anybody didn't get their stuff out, they'd grab it and put it in the dump truck. Oh, wow. So, so they had to watch for that, and yeah. they had to get out of there. And, uh, but it was funny. I'd keep passing out flyers. Maybe 45 minutes later, there'd be one guy who'd set up again his tarp, and then in an hour, a few more. By three or four hours later, you'd never know the truck had gone through there. <laughs> it was just back to the same old thing. Yeah. And uh, so this event occurred in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, if you look at Mark chapter 11, by the time it was the end of Jesus' ministry, it was a very similar situation once again. If you want to read Mark 11, read verses 15 to 17. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? 
But you have made it a den of thieves. Looks like Jesus hadn't learned much. He goes and does the very same radical actions again. But he gives us a little more thought about why he was doing this. For one thing in verse 17, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. They were robbing the Gentiles of what little space they did have in that temple complex for prayer and for worship by turning it into a stockyard and a money changing place. Yes. They were not using it the way God intended. But what's more... This was God's house. Yes. Think about it. if somebody invaded your father's house, your parents' house, and did something in that house without authorization, wouldn't you be outraged? Mm-hmm. You know, what if they did some kind of wild party or orgy or something like that yeah. in your parents' house, assuming you have parents that are moral and careful about those things? Sure. You'd be outraged. You'd be upset. This was Jesus' father's house. They had no business doing that. He was not happy about that. And... It's helpful for us, even when Jesus does some things like this that seem a little weird or a little too strong, to stop and think, what should we learn from this? Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't do this on a whim. He didn't lose control of his temper. Jesus was doing exactly what he intended to do. In fact, here in Mark 11, he'd gone into the temple the day before to inspect, and he knew exactly what he was going to do when he went back the next day. So think about God's temple today. Mm -hmm. God does not dwell in a physical building today. But in 1 Corinthians 3, and a lot of other passages for that matter, the church is called God's temple. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. God dwells in his people. I think here the temple refers to the local church, and that is a place where God dwells. And he does not want that to be desecrated or to be destroyed in any way. In 1 Corinthians, the way they were tempted to destroy God's temple was with worldly wisdom. In verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. He says that again in verse uh, 3, 319, the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he, ca- he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. Yeah. God is very much against the incorporation of human wisdom among his people. Yeah. So often we think in our arrogance that our own wisdom can trump what God says. And so you go to college and they teach you in theology classes that God's not real or that his word is not true, it's not infallible, it's not inerrant. Jesus didn't raise, that's a very common thing. That's exactly right, the theory of evolution, that all things came by gradual processes and not by the acts of creation. And a man-centered approach for truth. When we follow human wisdom, when we seek to follow what is impressive to man, we say, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Right. That's a very popular thing today. Of course, you wonder if that statement is absolute truth. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of defeats itself. Yeah. But we want to be, be close to people and respected by people who aren't true servants of God, and so we cave to human wisdom. We need to keep the temple of God pure and right. We don't need to be uh, harboring those teachings and philosophies that are humanistic and not God-centered. But not only is the church as a congregation God's temple, my body is the temple of yeah. God. Would you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? So you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. You think about the physical temple in Jerusalem. 
people would have been very, very careful had they ever entered that temple into the presence of God. Yes. And God is now dwelling in my body. I need to be very careful that I keep my body clean, not physically, but spiritually, so it's a place that's appropriate for him to dwell. In this context, in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about sexual immorality. He says you can't commit sexual immorality because it's a it's a violation of the sacredness of this holy temple that is right. your body. He says in verse 18, flee immorality. We need to get away from that. We should not use God's holy dwelling place for immoral purposes. Yes. And so what Jesus did that so outraged the uh, Jewish leaders and seemed so in, out of character for him was really an important lesson. In God's holy temple, whether it be the congregation as a whole or my body, I must do only those things that God approves of. Yeah. And so if Jesus were to come to us, look into our temple and to see what, what he's going to find, what would his response be? That's a very good question. Yes. Would, would he, would God, is God feel comfortable dwelling in right. my body, in my life? I got a question for you, Gary. It kind of goes back to what you were talking about in chapter three. What would your advice be to somebody who maybe on a day-in, day-out basis is flooded with this kind of human philosophy and philo- uh, human wisdom and reasoning? Maybe, it, maybe it's because of the school they go to. Or How would you encourage a Christian in that situation to combat against giving into those kinds of things? Well, the first place, we've got to know God's Word well. We've yes. got to constantly be feeding on it. Yes. You know, it's a, it, it kind of counteracts the poison we get from the world then sometimes we may just need to cut off our contact with worldly people and with worldly situations. Some colleges may not be good to go to, and some some friends may not be good to have, and some books may not be good to read. I don't want to just take all the poison I can possibly tolerate into my life. There's a, there's a reason why we need to be listening to the Lord more than we listen to the world and its wisdom. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Thank you for listening to the It Is Written podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, feel free to send Gary an email at garyfisher1063 at gmail.com. We hope you have a blessed day.